Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Job. It is Father's Day. We want to say bless you to all the fathers. Now, if you're a visitor, what I'll be saying now might not seem unusual, but because you're probably used to it. But if you're a regular, it might seem a little different because I normally don't speak to days like Father's Day. I mean, Easter, yeah. Christmas, yeah. Right. Pentecost, yeah. But day like Father's Day and Mother's Day, I don't normally speak directly to them because we're going through a passage or a book of Scripture, and if it happens to coincide, bless God. If not, we're going through what we're going through, right? But this is, a, this is different. Um, I really felt encouraged, directed, if you will, to speak to a Father's Day specifically today, primarily because of a, what happened in a walk that, that Pastor Joyce and I, we like to walk in the mornings. It's a really good time to talk and stuff. And um, we were, the question was, came up, you know, what's a really good role model for a dad in the Bible? And we started to talk about that. What's a really good role model for dads? And, um, you know, we went through what I would call the list of the usual suspects, you know, the typical dads we talk about. And um, they all had at least one really big flaw. I mean, significant flaw that made it kind of awkward to think about them as a really good role model. I mean, you know, you can start with Adam. I mean, there's a good solid guy, you know, knew God really well, but he did lead the entire human race into sin. <laughs> Raised a murderer. Um, Abraham, yeah, Abraham, good guy. Um, that concubine thing kind of complicates the issue. Isaac, we don't know a whole lot about him. Um, he, he, was, he, he let himself get manipulated in a way that dad probably shouldn't. Um, Jacob, do we even have to say why? You know, um, the thing about, Jacob, the thing about favoritism, that's what really stood out. That, that's, David, you know, we go through the whole list. Was, we walk about three miles until we had some time to talk. I went through the whole list, and we just really couldn't find anybody. So that's like the first lesson today. If you're looking for a perfect dad, don't look in the Bible. You know, God, yeah. But, the, you know, God the Father, yeah. But we're looking for a human role model. The Bible doesn't have any perfect people in it. Yeah, Jesus. But other than that, no. That's because it's real. It's because Scripture is real. It talks about real people. So that was the first lesson. Um, but back, back to our, um, our walk. We're walking along, and we're trying to come up with a really good example of a dad in the Bible for a role model. Couldn't come up with anything, so my wife, of course, does what any of us would do. She pulls out her phone and Googles it. List of good dads, you know, and she gets the same list, right? Well, while she's doing that, I'm just kind of thinking, and this name pops into my head, and I thought, hmm. So she starts to read the names off the list, and I said, hey, how about Job? And she says, he's not on the list. <laughs> Which, I mean, she was just making an observation, that's all. He was, not, he was not on anybody's list for the best dads in the Bible, but the more I thought about it, I thought the guy's a good role model. Now, just curious, anybody ever heard a, a, a sermon or a teaching on Job as a model for dad? I know, I know, I never did. So this was kind of very, I enjoyed uh, doing this, this bit of reading and some research and stuff. Um, with the exception of, of God the Father, Job may be the best example of a role model in the Bible. So, Job chapter 1, and we're just going to go through the Bible and make some observations. Nothing more complicated than that. We're going to make some observations about Job as a really, really good father, right? So, Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. 
And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we know that if we're looking for perfection, we're only going to find it in you and in your son. But Father, as we look for a, a, a man of the, of the like stuff of us, that we can um, find encouragement from, find instruction from, I believe we find it in this, this godly man, Job. And so we ask you to open our hearts and minds to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Job's life for some insights. There was a man in the land of us. Did you catch that? He is in the land of us. And, you know, I looked it up. Some scholars say uz. Some say us. I don't read Aramaic or speak Hebrew. I don't know. But us or uz, however you want to pronounce it. Um, he was in us, not from us. You know why that's important? How much of a problem is, is, is the absentee father in our society? You don't know where to find him. You know where to find this guy. Just go to us. Because he was in us. So the first thing I would observe about Job is you simply knew where to find the guy. He wasn't absentee. He was there, and you could find him. That's the first thing. Second thing is he was a godly man, and the Scripture has this list of things about him. It says he was blameless. Now, that doesn't mean he's perfect. We all know that. But it does mean... That he was a man against whom you could not lay a charge or an offense. Now, there's two ways you get in that, in that state of being, you know, people can't blame you for anything wrong. One, you've never done anything wrong. Well, good luck with that. Or when you've done something wrong, deal with it. You know, because if you make a mistake, but then you deal with it, you know, you, if you have to repent, you repent. If you have to apologize, you apologize. If you have to fix it, you fix it. But you do everything in your power to deal with it. So that the next time something along says, yeah, but remember, yeah, but I did, but I dealt with it. So Job was a guy that dealt with problems when they arose, took care of things he had done. He was upright, and that just means he played by the rules. He played it straight, right? I mean, you know, if Dad's sitting around the dinner table talking about the way he cheated on his taxes this year, the kids hear that, right? Or anything else. Job was a man who played by the rules, played it straight. He feared God. Now, a lot of people have a really skewed perspective on what that means, what it is to fear God. All that really means is to have a proper understanding of who God is and what that means and to live accordingly. You know, Paul explained that this way, or I should say the writer of Hebrews explained that this way. He said, there's no creature hidden in, from his sight but all things are open and laid bare. And I love the last part of this verse. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Or to put that in the vernacular, the eyes of him with whom we do business. We do business with God. And we will continue to do business with God. And one day we will do our final business with God. And from that final business there will be no appeal. Jesus put it this way, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. How much different life would be if every one of us walked around realizing that there, that there is an eternal God who holds our very soul in his hands and someday he will make a decision what to do with it. And that decision will be final. And that decision will be based on what we have done. Most Importantly, what we have done relative to our relationship with his son. The simple knowledge that another being holds our eternal, without ending soul in his hands. 
To walk with that understanding is what it is to fear God. Job did that. Okay? And he turned away from evil. That's excellent. I think most of us know that when evil presents it, we should turn away. Job is described as actively heading in the opposite direction before evil, evil even came to him. He turned away from it. He wasn't where evil could easily find him. And his dad's, that is so absolutely important for us. So at the very outset, we see that Job is a godly man. He conducts himself in a godly way. He knows who's, who holds his soul. He knows how we should live, whom he should fear. And he turns away from evil. And of course, he was a dad. He had seven sons and three daughters. Um, and then we get to the part where Job really starts to stand out for me. Job deliberately looked to his children's spiritual well-being. He was concerned about their well-being. Verse 4 of the first chapter reads this way, And his sons used to go, remember he has seven sons, three daughters, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, that would be like birthday or name day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them. Job took care of, of the spiritual well-being of his children. He consecrated them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So even when he wasn't aware of anything specific his sons had done wrong or his daughters had done wrong, he had enough regard for their spiritual well-being to get up early in the morning, before he headed off to work, whatever Job did, probably took care of his sheep and all that stuff. But he'd get up early in the morning, and he would go and he would make offering for his children's spiritual being. He prayed for his children. Job was a praying man. How many testimonies have we heard about praying mothers? I'm old enough that I grew up Early in my life, we heard a lot of stuff, even as a young adult, a lot of testimonies in church. That was the generation. I grew up listening to the generation of men that came back from World War II. And I'll tell you, the number of testimonies about guys whose lives were saved because their mom was praying for them, I mean, that was like a regular Sunday event. And some of them were, were pretty amazing stories, and you know something incredible would happen, and they would live through it, and then a, two weeks later, they'd get a letter from mom saying, what happened at this time on this day? Because God put this burden on my heart, and then they would say, well, this, you know, whatever happened, and God saved our lives. We heard testimony after testimony, and not just you know, veterans, but just in general. We hear all these testimonies. People standing up and saying, I got to pray, and what's wrong with the praying dad? I mean, the Bible does speak to men Everywhere, lifting up holy hands, continually praying. There's no shortage of instruction in Scripture for men to pray, right? So dads, are, are we not praying? If we're not, there's no excuse. We have plenty of instruction. Actually, I think, I think as dads, realistically, probably do pray for our kids. We just don't tell them about it. Now, moms... They pray for us, and then they tell us. <laughs> and it's usually in the context of a rebuke. And, and by the way, I've been praying for you. That's what I'm told. I've never seen it happen. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm told. Mom, but dad's here. Do you tell your kids you pray for them? Probably not, right? Let your kids know that, that you pray for them, right? 
Think about Job as he, 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 he regarded his children's welfare, he acted on it, he told them about it, and he was really honest about the reality of it. Perhaps my, my sons, I don't even know anything, but maybe they've cursed in their heart. Um, I will never forget the moment that I realized my kids were sinners. I thought my children were perfect, angelic. And then they did something, my God, my child's a sinner. Right? And good at it. Um, it. They inherited it. They did. But I think, I don't know, maybe for dads, that's harder to come to terms with. But Job didn't do that. Job had a very frank awareness of the reality of his children's capacity for sin. So Job had a real strong concern for his um, children's spiritual welfare. Job, another one, another one. Job was a really good husband. They say, and I firmly believe it, that the best thing you can do for your children is to be a good husband to their mother. Treat your wife well. There's two huge lessons that come out of that, treating your wife well. One, that teaches your sons how to treat their wives, women in general. I hope that when my son watched me act towards his mother, he would know how he would treat his wife. And, dads, if that one hasn't convinced you, this one will, It'll teach your daughters how they should be treated. And when some guy comes along that doesn't measure up, I worked really hard to raise the bar as high as I could for my daughters. I think it worked. It worked, yeah. Another one. Um, he was monogamous. Now, we don't know exactly where Job lived or even exactly when he lived, so it's kind of an assumption, but it's reasonable because in Uz, probably Aram, um, polygamy was the norm. Can't be sure it was polygamous at his time, but in all likelihood it was. But there's no indication that Job was anything other than respectful and monogamous. None of that concubine stuff. Didn't have his wife was called his wife, not his first wife, not his best wife, not his wife. Period. End of sentence. And the entire book speaks as though Job was wholly monogamous, and he treated her with respect, even when she was out of line. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 2, verses 9. If you get nothing else out of this morning, this is really good. This, this is good stuff. Um, it's, you know, the story Job gets the news that his wealth has been destroyed in a moment, and then he gets the news that his kids have been killed, the building collapsed on him, and then the next thing you know, he's sick as sick can be, and he's covered with boils, and he's sitting in a pile of ash, scraping the boils with, I mean, it's a pathetic picture, right? And his wife shows up and says to him something she had absolutely no reason to say. Verse 9, chapter 2. Do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? There are no circumstances under which that's good advice. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing in that that you want to follow, right? No, there's zero, zero good advice there. Um, and how does he respond to her, right? I love what he says. He said to her, verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Notice what he does not say. You foolish woman. No. He says you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. And the reason I'm so sensitive to that is my dad was really good at that. My dad would say, John, you're not a dumb kid. I knew what was coming. You know, why are you acting so dumb right now, right? But how did it start? 
It started with an affirmation that let me know he wasn't attacking my character. He was attacking the dumb things I was doing. You act as the foolish women act. You speak as the foolish women speak. He's saying, sweetheart, you and I both know there's foolish women out there. I know because you tell me about them all the time. Right? So we know there's foolish women out there. Right now, you're talking like them. You're not talking like the woman I know. So he's affirming her, even as he says, what you're doing right now is way out of line. Right? Spoke to her respectfully, even, even when they had a really, really serious disagreement. Job was a good husband. Another big one, another big one, and you've maybe not noticed this before. Job had friends, good friends, not perfect friends, but had good friends. And I don't know, if you guys, if you've thought of this before, but as a dad, it's really important to have good friends. It really is. First of all, as dads, we don't do well in isolation. That's a whole other thing. But it's really important for us to have good dads to, or good friends and to pick our friends with our children in mind. You do that, guys? You, you pick the people you're going to spend time with, the men you're going to spend time with, with your kids in mind. Because the people that you spend time with can have, for good or for ill, tremendous influence on your children. First, well, again, first thing, the company you keep affects you. You know, bad company corrupts good character. We know that. But the influence of a dad's friends on kids is amazing. The direct influence, the direct influence that, that your friends have. Um, with my, with, when I was growing up, um, one of the days that was just like on the calendar was September 1st. That was our one hunting day. That was the day every year we'd go hunting, and it would be dad, my brother, and my dad's good friend, Tivo. And we'd always go. There may be other people, but it was always the four of us. And then my older brother, you know, he went off and lived his life, and it was just dad and I and Tivo, and then whoever else happened to be there. Well, I was about six, 15, I think, 15, I think, and for some reason, my folks had to be out of town. I don't know what it was, really odd or rare for that to happen, for them to, you know, go off and meet, be at home, but um, dad came to me and he said, you know, John, I'm going to be gone September 1st, right? What he was saying was, I'm going to be gone September 1st. You won't you know, get to go hunting this year. That's not what I heard. What I heard was my dad saying he wasn't going hunting September 1st. Because my immediate reaction, I didn't even think about it. I said, oh, man, I'm so dad, you know, to hear that, dad, we're going to miss you. I'm going with Tebow. And that's what my dad just didn't expect that. Got a big smile on his face. And he says, well, you know, we probably should call Tebow first, you know, see if he wants to drag a 15-year-old kid along. And Tebow's response was, well, of course. Right? You go. I'll take him. And we had, a, we had a glorious time, right? But knowing that my dad had those kind of friends provided this, like, extended family for me. And not just for me, but for my older brother. Vital, vital in our upbringing. And, and even beyond that, the conversations, and I don't know how to illustrate this. I can't come up with an example. But the conversations my dad had with his friends were so important in forming who I am today. The things I value, the way I think. I mean, I never grew up with the children are meant to be seen and not heard mentality, but I was made to know that I would learn a lot more if my mouth was closed. Um, and it's true. You learn so much more by listening. And I would listen to my dad's conversations. I would learn the kind of things that shouldn't be said and the kind of things that should be said. 
I would learn the kind of things that would be regarded as foolishness and the kind of things that would be regarded as wisdom. And so my dad's friends influenced my life and shaped my thinking so, so much. And so, yeah, guys, pick your friends carefully. Pick your, kid, your friends with your kids in mind. Uh, now we get to the middle of the book, that big section in the middle. And um, if you would, just flip over to Job 31 because there's so many things we could talk about. But Job 31 is just a jewel of a passage that talks about things to do as, as a dad. Verse 1, chapter 31. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And he talks about that whole issue of sexual integrity. And guys, we know how important that is. But the message of Job is it is so important that it even impacts our children. How we conduct ourselves in this part of our lives. And notice what he says. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? And then look at verse 2. And what is the portion of God above? So God's watching, right? And if that doesn't get you, or the heritage of the Almighty from on high. Your kids are watching too, heritage. So gentlemen, the way we conduct ourselves in the area of sexual integrity has a profound influence, especially on our children. Job was careful. He cut a contract with his own face as to what he would do, and he lived by that contract. That is so important. He maintained his sexual integrity. Jump on down to, um, well, look at verse 5. If I've walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened after deceit, let him weigh me with accuracy. He's talking about the way he did business. Job did business in such a way that when his kids watched him, they saw a person who acted with integrity and was not ever to be characterized uh, with falsehood, right? Uh, jump on down to verse 13. And some of these are almost closing kind of, you can almost jump in anywhere in the book, but these ones really stood out to me. Verse 13, if I have despised the claim of my male or female slaves. Now, in our culture, we see the word slave, our brain goes someplace, right? We can't do that because we're talking about a, a culture so vastly different than ourselves. And it doesn't just mean, this is the usual Christian explanation of why slavery is talked about in the Bible the way it is, is that in this culture, slaves were, were different, they weren't treated in the horrific way that slaves were in the United States in the 18th and 19th century. And while that's true, that's only half the explanation. That's only half the answer. Because not only was slavery radically different, the whole perception of not just slavery, but all manner of slavery or service or employment was radically different. In our culture, if we talk about a slave or an employee, we have two totally different things in mind. In antiquity, especially in an environment like this, the distinction between slave and hired person is almost nothing. One was no really better off than the other. And so in the way they were described, this is when we say you have to understand the cultural setting. That's what we're talking about. In the way they were described, there was no big difference. So when we say the word slave could just easily be translated servant or hired or employee, that is quite literally in their perspective, in the, in the in reality of antiquity, like when Job lived at least you know, 3,000 years ago, there just wasn't any real difference. The point being that whether they were a slave as we think of a slave or whether they were a hired hand as we think of a hired hand or a cherished employee as we think of as a valued employee, Job treated them all the same and he treated them all well. 
And he said, you can go talk to my employees, you can talk to my hired hands, you can talk to anybody who works for me, regardless of their title, and they'll tell you the same thing. I have treated them well, and if they've had a complaint, I've addressed it. And his kids were watching. So the way we treat people who are dependent upon us, the way we treat people whose lives are influenced by us, our kids are watching. And they're learning. And they're leaning. Job treated his servants properly. But on to verse 16. If I've kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, Job had regard for the poor, for those in need. His kids were watching. Mm -hmm. Verse 24. If I put my confidence in gold and call fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my, he hadn't done it, in other words, Job knew where his trust lie, and he talked it out, and he walked it out. He lived in such a way that he, people observing him could know. He's challenging people. If you've seen me do this, if you've seen me act in a way that would suggest that my trust was in my wealth, not in God, call me out on it, and no, you can't. And his, kid, his kids knew that. His children knew that, right? He trusted in God. And verse 29, this may be one of the hard ones, as if the other ones weren't, right? He said, have I rejoiced at the ex uh, extinction of my enemy? Have I exulted when evil befell him? Job was not a vindictive man. Even though he had enemies just like the rest of us, even though he had people that had done him wrong. Well, we're going to find out how Job dealt with them. Job prayed for him. Even people that did Job wrong, he prayed for him and his kids. His kids were watching. So jump to the end of the book then, verse, or chapter 42. Good stuff. And, and you know how it ends, right? Most of us know how it ends. Job's health went south, and his wife said what she had to say, and his friends came to comfort him, and they failed miserably because they ended up just blaming him for everything. You know, they had a, a certain flaw in their theology that said if you were a good person, only good things would happen to you. If you were bad things, bad thing would happen to you, right? How many of us fall into the trap of thinking that way. Yeah, right. Well, so they said all kinds of things about Job that weren't true, and he went back and forth for several chapters. And then starting back in about 38, God finally speaks up. And if you think that being godly will protect you from a rebuke from God, just consider this. God rebuked Job for four chapters. Four chapters of continual, listen, buddy, this is where you're wrong, right? Four chapters, right? I don't know that I, to me, what Job endured physically, I mean, if I had to choose between the two, between enduring what Job endured physically and four chapters of God telling me how messed up I was, I think I might take the physical suffering. I don't, you know, hopefully neither one ever befalls me, but four chapters of God correcting you, that's pretty, pretty stiff stuff. And at the end of it, what does Job do? He said, I put my hand over my mouth. I retract. I repent in dust and ashes. Job was quick to repent and ask God for forgiveness. Okay, dads, how many of you can say your kids have heard you repent and ask forgiveness of God? How many of us as dads have had our kids hear us repent and ask forgiveness of them? I can remember my dad asking me to forgive me once, forgive him once. 
I walked in the other room. My mother was standing there like a ghost. Yeah. She knew what it meant. Powerful thing, Dad, when we can ask forgiveness, acknowledge our sins. So important, right? So Job was quick to repent when he sinned. And lastly, Job was not a vindictive man, as I've already pointed out. He was a forgiving man. Now, I said Job got rebuked for four chapters. His friends who had messed up so bad got one verse. I don't know about the economy of that, right? Um, but his friends just got one verse. Fortunately, they were smart enough to stop, and you know, it says that they repented. But then it says this in verse 42. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. God never told him to do that. In four chapters, I'm not, does it ever say that Job, who was, you guys were reading Job, right? Brad, you've been reading Job? Does God ever tell him to pray for his friends? I think it does. He took that on himself. He prayed for the very guys that had been hammering him for 30-some chapters, picking on him when he was down, and yet he prayed for them. And I'll bet that wasn't the first time he prayed for those that had done him ill. So we've got some really, really good examples of the kind of man that Job was. It speaks to us as the kind of man that Job's children got to watch to the extent that we as dads are doing this, well done. To the extent we aren't, good time to start with God's help. With God's help. So uh, again, we don't normally end this way, but I want to end this way this morning. If you're sitting next to somebody who's a dad, put your hand on them. We're going to pray for him. If you're sitting next to somebody, even if he's not your dad, if he's a dad, he's got a big job. Mm-hmm. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we, um, Lord, we know we have a, a perfect role model in you and your perfect love for us, Father. It, it passes all understanding. But, Father, we're, we're also honest to say that's a hard role model for us to look at because we don't stand a chance of measuring up to it. But, Father, when we read in the life of a man like Job, who we know had really hard times, Father, had things he really struggled with, that he was able to maintain, Father, his spiritual integrity throughout this brutal experience and continued to be the godly man that he was, Father. Uh, We can look at that and we can say, I can at least aspire to that. I can pursue that. And as we've looked at just these few things, these hand, what are 13 of them that we pulled up here today, Lord? Things about Job's life Um, They give us good direction, Lord. Father, we know that you give us good direction because you want us to do a good job. And so, Father, we look to you this morning and ask that you would help us. Father, for those that that were, were dads many years ago, we pray you'd continue to bless their relationships with their adult children. For the, the, the men here, the fellows here that are not dads yet, we pray that you would even now move them towards being the kind of man that will be a good dad, acting now in such a way that as your grace and mercy brings children into their lives, they'll, they'll already be being a good dad, Lord. Father, we pray for the, the mothers here that um, you've given us to help us be better dads as you bless them. And Father, we ask in all these things, not just, Father, for the dads and the moms, but for each one of us, whatever our status or place in life, because we all have somebody watching us, Lord. 
We all have people watching us. And we want to live our lives in such a way that they, as Dahlia testified, Father, we want to live our lives in such a way that they know there's a God in heaven who loves them and cares about them more than any of us could and draw them to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.